What's the best excuse you've come up with for getting a day off school? Maybe you faked a sore head or a sore stomach, or just moaned about feeling a little bit under the weather. How about, instead of going to all that effort, you get someone to knock together a fake news website and article, saying your school's shut tomorrow, spread it virally on social media, cause some panic, and then sit back, put your feet up, and watch a bit of daytime TV. Hello and welcome to Trust Me, I'm a Journal, and can you believe it, we've made it to episode 3. Thanks for sticking with me, despite my belonging to the flawed mainstream media. I'm Kyla McDonald, and today we're going back to school. I was contacted at home by a member of staff to say that she had seen on Facebook a news story that looked legitimate, uh, bar the spelling, uh, that the school was closed due to a police incident and the school would be closed on Monday and possibly for the rest of the week. We're learning all about how fake news is hitting schools across the UK as pupils try to get the day off. They say school's the best days of your life. We're going to hear from teachers who've had to stem the flow of social media viral stories, about dealing with parents who don't know what on earth's going on, and about pupils who just want to stay at home, watch a bit of Victoria Derbyshire, Homes Under the Hammer, and Neighbours from under their duvet. Welcome to Trust Me, I'm a Journey. Well, hello, and look at us. We've made it to episode three. Thank you so much for sticking with it. Uh, We're about halfway through the series now already. Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? And obviously, if you haven't already, we'd love it if you could subscribe via iTunes or whatever other podcast provider you use, of course. Just search for Trust Me, I'm a Journal. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter or sign up to the mailing list if you're not on social media so that you never miss information that could be vital. To you hearing the next episode uh, All the details of how to do that It's all on the website Just click trustmeimajournal.com Now I think it's important uh, Based on some of the uh, responses That I've had on Facebook and Twitter And whatnot through this week I think it's important that we remind ourselves That fake news is still relevant Let's start by dropping in On an interview with Sebastian Gorka I should say Dr Sebastian Gorka Deputy Assistant to President Donald Trump who this week said that the administration is going to continue using the term fake news until the media understands that, quote, their monumental desire to attack the president is wrong. Now, Dr Gorka is a former editor at Breitbart. That's the right-wing news website that Stephen Bannon, chief advisor to President Trump, used to be in charge of. Are you still with me? Okay, good. Well, he has been speaking on the show of Conservative radio host in the US, Michael Medved, and caller Jeff got in touch. You mentioned earlier about how we just took a little snippet of the O'Reilly interview and, and now the lamestream... Lamestream media, that's me, by the way. ...fake news media um, has now commented on it. How many times are we going to have to go through this with this president where you, Kellyanne, and everyone else... Kellyanne Conway, that is, an advisor to Donald Trump, who, actually, just while we're on this tangent, let's have a little listen to her in action. I, I bet there was very little coverage. I bet, I bet it's brand new information to people that President Obama had a six-month ban on the Iraqi refugee program after two Iraqis came here to this country, mm. were radicalized, and there were the master, masterminds behind the Bowling Green massacre. Well, most d- people don't know that because it didn't get covered. And the reason that didn't get covered? Because it didn't happen. There was no such thing as the Bowling Green Massacre. There just wasn't. And now Kellyanne Conway was Trump's campaign manager during the election, and she tweeted the day after saying that that she'd made an honest mistake and had meant to say Bowling Green 
terrorists, uh, referring to two Iraqi citizens from a place called Bowling Green in Kentucky, who'd been convicted of trying to send weapons and money to Al-Qaeda. But The Guardian points out that Kellyanne Conway actually used the term Bowling Green Massacre on more than one occasion and didn't quite work out how to stop. Right then, back to Caller Jeff. Where you, Kellyanne, and everyone else has to come out in Parsons' words explain what's going on and because it, it, it's never a clear thing out of this man's mouth or tweets and every time you call everything fake news it just turns everyone except your hardcore fans off not everything's fake news grip um, I, you know i would beg to differ every single uh, organ that generates these kinds of stories comes from the same clique of media organs that predicted that Hillary would win and that Brexit wouldn't occur. I know what fake news is, and it's coming from those organizations. It's time that you yourself understood that as well. So fake news is definitely still a thing, which is actually quite lucky because we're not quite finished our series yet. So back to school we go. Teachers say fake news is keeping pupils away from school, as if they needed another excuse. Articles are appearing online saying police incidents have closed classrooms, or even that teachers have kidnapped pupils. It's all a bit ridiculous, to be honest. And now schools are having to fight back, either via their own social media feeds or by answering the phone, which is ringing off the hook in the school office. And check this out we're not only going to hear from head teachers who are doing their best to keep on top of hoax stories. We're going to hear from a teacher who writes hoax stories. Isn't that a lovely twist of irony, how that's worked out? Yes, very nice, isn't it? Let's start, though, by setting out the issue that schools are actually facing. Now, without wishing to encourage this sort of behaviour, it is remarkably easy to set up a website. It's cheap and often free, in fact, and it's very, very easy. You can probably tell, it took me about 25 minutes to knock together my website. Trust me, I'm a journal.com, by the way. And it seems that it's now allowing people, possibly even pupils, to put together their own stories about their school being shut to try to score some time off. Which brings us to Paul Reynolds, the head teacher of Ross High School. Great. And where is Ross High School? It's in East Lothian. Perfect. Um, and Paul, can you just sort of sum up, I guess, your experience of fake news and how it's how it's affected the school to start us off? I think it was uh, Sunday, the, I think it was the 6th of November, around that time, I was contacted at home by a member of staff to say that she had seen on Facebook a news story that looked legitimate, uh, bar the spelling, uh, that the school was closed due to a police incident and the school would be closed on Monday and possibly for the rest of the week. And that was obviously untrue in the first I had heard about it. So we decided we would put out a, a statement via the school Facebook page and the members of staff that were on there. And also I have a Twitter feed that many pupils and parents will follow. So I put out a statement basically saying that this was untrue and that the school would be open as normal on the Monday. Fortunately, um, the next day we, we checked attendance and it wasn't really affected, although clearly the office staff had to field many, many calls the next morning to see whether the school was indeed open or closed. Yeah. Was it possible to work out where the story had come from? 
Not really. Um, it looked as though it was it was called um, News Twenty Four Seven something, and it wasn't really possible. I mean, we spoke with the the, the local police department, who obviously they were going to look at it, but realistically, I think given that anything to do with Facebook or social media or any kind, any of these, it's, it's very difficult. I think for the police, I do, I do feel for them trying to try and find out all these areas of where people are placing this. This was obviously, I said, you know, a hoax. There's no doubt about it. But I believe we weren't the only school that was affected by it. I think there were schools across the, the country that had similar experiences. Yeah, and so do you think that the method of combating it and kind of using your own social media channels and the school's um, Facebook and, uh, accounts and things, was that effective? Yeah, I mean, I think it seemed to have been effective, which is great, because actually it's the kind of thing that I hadn't really ever imagined I would use it for, but equally in a Sunday night, there's not really many other options that, that you can use. So that was actually, um, normally it's just to spread good news stories about the school, the success of the pupils and so on. But actually then to be able to sort of combat something like that, it was obviously quite a, a handy tool to have when you're at home on a Sunday night with your with your wife and children. Uh, you know, it's uh, it was quite handy to be able to do and it was quite swift really when you mm. think of it. But of course that does rely on people actually following the, the you know, my Twitter feed or, or indeed the school the school Twitter feeds. Yeah. And when parents got in touch the next day and perhaps pupils, what I mean what were they what were they saying and how how had they reacted to the to the story, the fake news story? Yeah, I think some pupils are a bit disappointed, <laughs> as you can imagine. But uh, no, I think yeah, I, th- I think it was a bit of the talk of the town a little bit, and the the, the local local paper got in um, got in touch to to ask about it because clearly they had seen it on social media, and I, I don't suppose it was going viral, but certainly locally it was a significant story because it was going to affect people with to go to work the next day, and are the children going to be in school or not? So certainly the, the the, the staff were joking about it a little bit, as you can imagine, and the pupils were, were talking about it in school. And, of course, the parents calling in. I think one possibly hadn't seen the sort of the pieces that we put out on social media, but also just trying to just double-check that everything was OK. And I suppose there, there's some anxiety around it because the reason they said it was closed was because of a police incident, which, you know, is not, it's not pleasant. We'd rather not that type of news, certainly not about the school, so... Does it leave you then concerned a little bit about the potential for this sort of thing to happen again and perhaps in a more sort of serious way as well? I mean, I've, I've read some stories of uh, pupils who have made websites to, to basically slate their teachers and, you know, criticise their teachers and spread rumours about their teachers. I mean, is this something that schools are having to kind of learn a bit more about and try to work out an effective strategy to deal with? Well, I suppose you just have to remain vigilant, really, and you kind of hope that doesn't happen. Of course you do, but you can't be naive to it. And it's, I suppose we we are often sort of in, in perhaps schools have to deal with, with incidents or perhaps sort of inappropriate chat on social media and things. And we often talk about it negatively, but I think it's important that schools keep in touch with that for example exactly what happened there where we were able to actually use social media to communicate with parents and, and as I go back to what I was saying earlier it's actually a really useful tool to be able to share the success to people share the good news stories so I think we can't shy away from it I also think we have to be making sure that in schools that we are we are aware that there are such a thing it's, there is such a thing as fake news and we we need to make sure that we are bringing that into our curriculum bringing that into the lessons and making sure that the pupils are sort of IT literate, but also 
making sure that where we used to speak about you can't believe everything you read, equally we have to make sure that we're now the messages you can't believe everything you read in social media and I think that's even more important when we can see that in the media all the time just now. I like downloading podcasts because you can take them with you wherever you go so if you're on the train you can't really listen to radios so podcasts are the way to go. On episode two, you'll remember, we heard from Paul Horner, who's based in the United States. Do you remember the sleepy guy from the last episode? Yeah, that one. And he's making a fortune, thousands and thousands of dollars a shot, from his fake news articles. But it seems you can't quite make as much money here in the UK. Perhaps that's a compliment to social media users here. Who knows? But anyway, my next guest loves writing fake news, but works full-time as a teacher. Check that out. Isn't that great for this episode? Anyway, he wants to remain anonymous uh, so that his pupils don't find out who he is. And so we're calling him the chief reporter for Southend News Network. back in the autumn of 2015 when I just started a blog just as a bit of a joke because um, I thought it would be fun to poke um, a bit of fun at the uh, local newspaper down here because they often sensationalise stories and get things wrong and spelling mistakes and just things like that. So I started out as a bit of a joke um, a joke blog. I thought I'd come up with a nice neutral name that would have people wondering is it real or is it not because there are a lot of spoof news sites out there with really obvious fake names but South and News Network leaves you thinking Maybe it is real, maybe it isn't. And then I, that just started out as a bit of a joke, a bit of a hobby. Then as it started to grow, I found myself publishing more stuff, getting more attention, really. And it just kind of all snowballed from there. Mm. And give me an idea of the attention that the site gets. How many how many people are clicking onto it? Uh, when it started, I'd be lucky to get maybe a couple of hundred hits mm-hmm. a day. And now, on average, it runs to about 500,000 per month. Wow. That's basically over... Of course, I mean, there have been some months when it's been anything up to six, seven, eight hundred thousand, or even like a million once when there was a really, really big story. And it's not so much the attention you get from all the clicks, it's when certain high-profile social media users and news outlets decide to share the content without even realising. That's when the traffic really shoots through the roof. Of course, yeah. And so do you make money from this? Is this how you make your living? Um, not entirely, no. I actually teach. Uh, teaching's my day job. And then there are sort of some months where the advertising revenue, you know, covers the hosting costs and other little bits and pieces like that, because obviously the more traffic I get, the more I have to plough into actually making sure the site doesn't fall over. Then there are some other times when there is a little, when there is a little bit on top as well, but mainly it's, you know, it's incredibly sporadic based on the amount of traffic that it gets. Yeah. It's interesting that you say you're a teacher, actually, because um, I've been speaking to some teachers earlier today uh, on, on the subject of fake news and how their schools have been targeted by fake news oh, yeah. stories <laughs> and things. Is that yeah. something you've experienced? Have you written any articles like that? Um, again, one of the more popular types of stories that I do is whenever there's a period of nasty weather, you know how everybody goes mad about schools closing and <laughs> yeah. things like that. So what happened was, what most news outlets do down here is they do like, you know, there's going to be heavy snow and the schools are going to be shut. Mm-hmm. And one of my most popular ever stories was when we had a period of really heavy fog. And I put a story out saying that the fog had closed all of the schools because it was, it was that thick that the fog had permeated into the classrooms. <laughs> so obviously the kids couldn't see, couldn't see the whiteboard. It was a massive health and safety hazard and everybody had to be sent home. It's just kind of, you know, anything to do with the weather tends to drive people nuts, yeah. i found. And people, people lapped that up, did they? They went for that story. 
They do, yeah. And again, because because everyone's so twitchy about their kid's school being off, they'll sort of click it, read the first three paragraphs, and then they actually realise that it's fake. I was interested in what you said a few minutes ago that you can, you set this this site up deliberately, kind of with the purpose of writing kind of hoax sort of articles, fake news articles. Um, mm. I mean, it's it's just quite interesting to think that's a responsible thing to be doing. Um, it is and it isn't. I think I like to think that for every person who's outraged and shares it to the point of their friends poking fun at them, I think another person uses the experience to actually try and distinguish between what's real and what isn't. But I mean, again, the whole time that I've been doing it, there have been some really, there, there have been some really far-fetched, absolutely unbelievable stories with an unbelievable amount of red herrings in them that people have still that people have still fallen for. To the extent where I'm thinking, well, if you can't spot the absolute red herrings, you know, I can't really be held responsible for when people decide to run off of it and share it. <laughs> and um, I mean, it's worth pointing out. So you've asked us just to um, introduce you as the, uh, the chief reporter for the South End News Network. Um, yeah. Why is it we're not using your name? Because um, unfortunately, down here there are quite a few people who don't like the fact that South End News Network pokes fun at South End and the people who live here. Even though it's developed into this, you know, larger thing now, it's kind of got a more national and global focus. Sometimes I still do a lot of stories about. South End and the stereotypes of Essex. I'm thinking I do quite a lot of stories about South End Pier, but I think that if people knew who I was, people might try to throw me off the end of South End Pier. So <laughs> I tend to uh, keep a low profile for now. Sure. Do your pupils know yeah. who you are? Um, some of them do, but I tend again I tend not to talk about it much mm-hmm. at school because a lot of the content is very much not child friendly. So, but I mean, again, I do use examples in a very vague way sometimes because obviously the kids at school. They're all getting into Facebook and the internet now and stuff like that. And we do talk about online safety. And I think quite a lot of the experiences that I've taken from running this site, I've actually translated over into discussions about online safety and responsible internet usage. And so it's been kind of a good all-round experience, I think. Yeah, OK. It's interesting. I mean, some of the... I'm just looking at the site now. So some of the headlines... Yeah. Uh, Bruce Forsyth, stop effing ringing me. I'm fine. Um, yeah, that was... Again, that one went out very late on <laughs> Boxing Day. It was literally a 10-second idea. And that went out quite late on Boxing Day last year, just when... You know, obviously we had the sad news with um, mm. Carrie Fisher and all the other celebrities towards the end of the year passing away. I think that was the same, that might have been the same night as um, George Michael, actually. Ah, so right. it was kind of a big, there was a massive social media frenzy. And I do like to think that I was trying to lighten the mood a bit because people were getting very emotional, I think, in a way that was quite unhealthy. As in, it's not like they knew these people, yet they tend to jump on the bandwagon and I think it all gets a bit out of control sometimes. So it was just kind of like a, reality check you know and giving people a bit of a laugh at the same time thinking you know it's not all doom and gloom yeah i was just really panicking that it wasn't that there wasn't gonna be some horrible coincidence afterwards but luckily there wasn't so uh, <laughs> it's quite fortunate <laughs> yeah i guess so actually uh, another one here seafront on lockdown after somali pirates take over south end pier yeah again a lot of people fell for that for some reason no idea why because the whole thing's ridiculous uh, are there sort of tangible effects then when you say that people fall for it is there a kind of a practical sort of lived out um effects of people who have who've consumed your stories yes i mean um i don't know if you've heard of our most popular ever i use the word victim in inverted commas but our most popular ever victim um what happened was last april um, April 2016, I published a story saying that the M25 was going to be closed for a week so that they could have a health and fitness endurance race around it. I think I did see um, that, yeah. Yeah, quite quite a few people saw it. Um, I just gave it some ridiculous name. Like I called it the um, Orbital Committal. You know, it was going to be a seven-day team-building event and you could take part and jog and run and whatever. You know, absolutely ridiculous story with um, a quoted MP with 
an absolutely ridiculous name that I'm not going to repeat because there's a sexual reference in there. But, you know, the whole thing was just ridiculous from start to finish. Anyway, it all went quiet for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden, the story started getting a massive amount of traffic. And I mean people searching on Google for it. So I'm thinking, what on earth's going on? Then somebody tweeted me saying, you've got to put LBC radio on. You won't believe what's just happened. And what happened was, Katie Hopkins was doing a show about the City of London being closed down for a bike event. I think it was on a Sunday or Saturday or something like that. And what had happened was, I don't know how, maybe a researcher or something had given her this story. And then she said, and you're not going to believe this. This is live on air in front of millions of people. You're not going to believe this. I've just read that the M25 is going to be closed for <laughs> one whole week. And then she starts reading out my story line oh my by days. line. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yes, you heard him right. He caught out the nation's favourite... Katie Hopkins. So let's take a minute and indulge in that moment when she fell for a fake news story live on her own radio programme. Interesting, Lee Philip. Thank you very much indeed for your call, sir. Uh, the M25 motorway is due to close for one whole week in August as the Department of Health and sports officials are organising a fitness event that's being billed as the ultimate endurance race. So that's to close the M25 motorway for one whole week in August. And that will take place first to the 8th of the August uh, of August 2016 teams of four people invited to walk jog or run uh, the complete 117 miles that make up the second longest orbital motorway in the world well I'm up for that uh, if only to go and mock people that are causing such chaos and havoc I wonder if that's going to go down very well shutting the M25 motorway so indeed broadening this conversation out oh Katie why let the truth get in the way of a good story as all the best journalists say. Are we still allowed to make jokes even though I'm part of mainstream media? That are we still okay with that? Will people will people anyone will people get that or will they make fun of me? And then about 30 minutes later she issued somewhat of an apology saying saying I've fallen for bigger spoofs before. I'd just like to confirm that the N25 won't be shut for a week. But of course by then obviously you know millions of people had heard it by then. Yeah. And that was probably the, the, the highest profile example of it ever Happening. I mean that one, you know, on the face of it, nobody's sort of nobody's harmed in the making of that story, if you like. You know, nah, it's it's quite really. it's a bit of fun. I mean, there yeah. are, there are occasionally though. Um, just again, glancing around, there are some that yeah. perhaps feel a little bit more serious, and perhaps you used the word victim a minute ago, where perhaps that that might start yeah. to come into play a little bit. There's one here about a sort of children's entertainer, TV personality, uh, claiming he's been suspended because he doesn't have a, a CRB, a, a sort of child protection certificate check done on him. Oh yes, the um the um TV personality you're talking about who you might not name because he might work for the same organisation as you you mean well yeah and also because Possibly. I don't want to be, I yeah. don't want to libel him either or, or defame oh, his no, name because no, you know well, on again, the face of it again, that something that I learned in um, something that I learned because I've done before I was a teacher I was working in social media moderation and stuff like that you can only really libel an actual person that's why the story got quite a lot of interest and it got people thinking how could it happen because I wasn't libeling the person as such I was potentially telling a mistruth about somebody who doesn't really exist and yeah that's I mean, that's a, it's a tricky distinction to make though there know? isn't it oh, when yeah, it's a I character guess, played yeah. by a real person yeah. yeah but i mean again again you have to read the story and actually read past the third paragraph when it gets to the end of it that particular story it says you know and in another development post from pat has had his uh, driving license taken away because he's driving on a provisional license and he's been trying to bribe police officers with parcels off the back of his van so it's, again, I think so many people read the first three paragraphs or read the headline and share it without even getting further down. I mean, the fact that the site's still up and I've not had a nasty letter from a group of lawyers makes me think that perhaps 
that one was okay. Mm. But I do get I do get what you're saying. It's an incredibly fine line sometimes, yeah. you know, trying to strike a balance between getting hits and getting attention and just writing stuff that's pure and utter defamation. Yeah. I think one thing that the presidential election showed us is just how many websites were prepared to get so close to that point. I think we'd be lost if we didn't return to the United States during this episode, and I want to keep it educational. That's our theme today, so we're going to go and chat with Joel Breakstone, who's done a massive study of students in the US. He did some work with thousands of students to find out if they knew what the flip they're clicking on when it comes to news articles online. And here's the results. I created a series of short tasks that ask students to uh, deal with the type of content that they will find online. Um, that ranged from websites where the, the creators of the website were obscured or sought to uh, obscure their identity um, to asking students to distinguish between uh, news and advertisements. So for instance, in, in one instance with uh, middle school students, we asked students to uh, look at the front page of a online news site and to identify which items were uh, news items and which were advertisements. And students were very proficient at identifying traditional news items and traditional advertisements, the ones that said 80% off. Um, however, uh, students really struggled to distinguish sponsored content as a, as a piece of advertising. They, they thought that it was content, um, just like traditional news stories, for instance. And just for context, how old would the students in middle school be? Yep. So the, we're talking about 12 to 14 year olds uh, were unable to do that. We also saw uh, similar patterns in high school um, we, with students from you know 14 to 18 years old. Those students um, also, uh, when given two items from a, a news website, one was uh, from the science section talking about uh, challenges of climate change. And another one was a piece of sponsored content um, put out by an oil company um, about climate change. Um, that it was an infographic. The majority of students uh, thought that the infographic would be a better uh, source of information because it presented more data. Um, so, so that that issue of, of students struggling to understand uh, some of the limitations of sponsored content as source of, of information really um, we saw across the board with with students ranging from you know, twelve to, to eighteen years old. Okay, and these uh, the the sites that you were showing there are actual websites with actual content. They weren't sort of generated as part of the study they were act they actually exist yep yep we were pulling these from from reputable news sites um in, in the united states okay and so it was quite high percentages of of students that actually struggled to differentiate um were they able to explain why they, they couldn't tell the difference what were the kind of things they were looking for or perhaps not looking for when they were assessing the content yeah, so, you know, students seem to overwhelmingly look for content rather than where the content comes from. So, for instance, with the infographic from the oil company, they thought it was useful because it presented a, a lot of information, but they didn't ask the question of where's this information coming from and, and who's responsible for the information? What is uh, the purpose of, of, this, uh, of this group or this individual who's putting this information out there? Uh, and we saw that across the board that um, when students were presented with a a website uh, about minimum wage. Um, they they read the content of the website rather than trying to figure out who put uh, the website minimumwage.com together. Um, and as a result, they didn't discover that uh, minimumwage.com 
is a, a website that is funded by the food and beverage industry and is opposed to minimum wage increases. Yeah. So they just kind of, uh, the, the content shows up in front of them and it's kind of accepted that it's fact. It's, you know, it's easy to consume. And so that's that. You know, we saw that with most students, uh, that, that students were not uh, were not inclined to ask basic questions of where's this information coming from? Um, what do other sources uh, say about this information? So students often would not leave a website to go look at other websites to see if, uh, if they could confirm uh, the claims that were going to be put out there. And students often did not look carefully at the evidence itself. So for instance, the infographic from the oil company did not have actually a lot of data in it. It, it just had the appearance of data. So students often didn't ask that very basic question of what is the evidence? Is this credible evidence? Um, rather, they, they, the appearance of evidence often was was enough for, for students to believe that, that a, a, a source was was useful. Sure. Why is that, do you think? Why is there a lack of interrogation of the facts? You know, our hunch is that that's often what we ask students to do in schools, uh, is that we don't uh, ask students to raise the question of where's this information coming from. More often, students are asked uh, to simply identify information in a source. You know, they're reading comprehension questions rather than um, the more complex questions of, you know, where who, where does, who is the author of this document? Um, can I trust them? What is, the, what is their viewpoint and what are their purposes in creating this document? I mean, those are um, types of those types of questions uh, come up much much less frequently for students. And so, uh, do you think that that sort of skill, that interrogation, that being able to determine what is true and what might be biased or indeed false, at sort of at the extreme end of of the scale, is that something that needs to be more ingrained into teaching? Absolutely. You know, we, we think that there are some basic moves that we can begin to integrate into classroom settings, um, especially given that uh, overwhelmingly students are now doing research online and are, are trying to locate information uh, among the misleading, contradictory and sometimes fraudulent content that they will encounter. Uh, when they go online. And as a result, we, we need uh, as educators to make sure that, that we're asking students, where, where's that coming from? Um, why do you trust this information? Do, do other sources confirm what this source is saying? Um, so that this is, uh, this is not a rare uh, occurrence of, of students having to, to evaluate the content they encounter online, but rather routine so that that can hopefully transfer outside of the context of classrooms in, into everyday life. There is an important step of at least asking the question of, do I trust this source? Uh, and are, is there additional information to confirm or reject what this particular source is saying um, that can go a long ways uh, towards limiting the spread of inaccurate information? So that if, if that question of, huh, do I trust this, uh, came up a little more often in people's minds, um, that's one way to, to begin to, to limit the spread of of false information online. I don't think most people want to be deceived. And I think that more often than not, people um, share information that, that confirms their own beliefs. Um, but but they, um, at, at the root, people want, want to be... Um, be sharing information that is accurate. And so I think that um, although there's certainly uh, a desire to, to confirm personal beliefs, um, I think that the people are, are not prone to want to deceive others. And so um, I, I think that we can 
build into folks a, a little more of a, of a set of skills that helps them to, to make sense of the content online, um, given how important that is for democracy, that, that democracy depends on the spread of free information and the availability of free information. And so um, having, having citizens who are equipped to, to distinguish between fact and fiction um, can go a long way towards ensuring the health of our democracies. Really interesting from Joel, I think, that thousands of students had a little look at his uh, his fake news examples, or certainly examples of articles that they should really be questioning the origins of and the facts within. And a lot of them just didn't get it. They just they just could not work out what was real, what was fake, and what they should be sort of investigating further and for themselves. That's what I go to school for. So there you have it, schools. They definitely have a problem with fake news, but not a big one at the moment. It's just something to be aware of, isn't it? That with access to the internet and access to making your own free website and generating articles and sharing them on social media, really anyone can be somebody who authors a fake news story. And I think when it comes to affecting us in real life as well, sometimes we can look at these examples that we've mentioned on the series so far, like Pizzagate and other things that we talked about in episode two. And they can all seem quite distant and quite far away and almost quite abstract. And we can't really um, sort of put our finger on the exact impact it's had on us. But when we hear stories about it affecting schools, you know, the school just down the road could have been affected by one of these in some cases. It's a cause for concern, isn't it, that these more local examples, that fake news is right on our doorstep and we've got to wake up to it. Coming up next time... We'll find out if the mainstream media was irresponsible in the way it covered that powerful slogan, Hands up, don't shoot. The way the media reported events around the shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson and the protest which followed has been questioned and called fake news. So we'll get to the bottom of those claims. Join me next time for Trust Me, I'm a Journal, which is a Callum AM production. Its executive producer is John McDonald.